Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 115, Your Grasp of Biology Troubles Me. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 6 of Buffy, Family, and series 8, episode 1 of Doctor Who, Deep Breath. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so family this week. Um, mm. Our first Tara-centric episode, really. Um, yeah. Just kind of exciting. Um, and uh, I think you wanted to mention something else, which is kind of interesting about this episode, which we haven't had in a while. Um, uh, yeah, so ahead. this is the first uh, episode of the season that's written and directed by Joss Whedon. Um <laughs> yeah, woohoo. woohoo. Uh we talked we talked about how um traditionally sort of the first episode uh is written and, and directed by him uh of the season and that wasn't the case this time around. Mm-hmm. Um So yeah, so um the other thing is we get an appearance uh one of and well an early acting appearance by Amy Adams mm-hmm. um who obviously is well known today, uh, yes. but but at the time was relatively Oscar nominated uh, Amy Adams now, but yeah, right, um, yeah, but obviously at the time was was sort of pretty much unknown, um, except for a few bit parts here and there, sure, um, and and you know a number of them sort of at the same time mm-hmm. as the, like you know this was sort of her building year i guess you could call it where she you know you know appeared on buffy and mm-hmm. charmed and like a couple other you know shows that were sort of um bit parts there and and in a couple of movies as well um, yeah but nothing like really stand out at that point so right right uh, and i feel like this is kind of vintage amy adams like this is what i like associate with her is this kind of like a small town girl kind of like Mm. you know slightly rednecky there's something kind of like you know um country girl about her you know she's a little meaner in this one than she sometimes is but but it kind of this seems like the kind of part that she i associate with her like before she started getting bigger roles and everything definitely more midwestern rural than like you know Appalachia rural but you know what I mean like that right I definitely know what you're saying there and I think I mean that's sort of pretty much how they they what place her here too here. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know we're we're talking about someone who's not from Sunnydale who's mm-hmm. you know from sort of a backwoods backwoodsy area and a very you know patriarchy mm-hmm. uh heavy area um so yeah, we'll talk about all of that, but um, just wanted to sort of make mention of that up front. <clears throat> right, and I think it's interesting too, like, um, even the episode that Whedon um, uh, directed in Angel so far this season was kind of like, you know, a left field episode, and I feel like this one is definitely better than that episode of Angel, but both of them are not the ones I would expect to be the Whedon episodes. Like they're not they're not about 
the big mythological points or the main characters. They're both more, um, you know, a bit more, like, left of center, I guess. Like, we're looking at, like, you know, Tara hasn't up to this point been a main Scooby, and she's still mm. not in the credits. But, but like, this is kind of about her <laughs> becoming one of the Scoobies, I guess. So, like, this one actually... Even though it seems like kind of a strange choice for him, it's also, I think, him kind of directing it kind of gives it the clout that it needs that like, okay, yes, this is the big, we're bringing Tara in full time kind of episode. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. And I mean, so right with the Angel example, of course, that was one that he directed that wasn't even written by him. So that's. Mm -hmm. That's an oddity in and of itself, and I kind of feel like that's just sort of an outlier. (laughs) Like, you can't really do much with that. Mm -hmm. Um, With this one, I mean, it's clear, like, because he wrote it as well, that, like, this obviously then is the story that he absolutely wants to tell. tell. And, And it is, like, there is, you know, I feel like, um, a lot of his stories are just sort of in general that kind of story to begin with. It's about the outcasts Mm. and the misfits and the, you know, whatever sort of coming into the fold or, or finding their own or whatever you want to call. And that's, I think one of the things that, that you can get with the introduction of people like Tara and even Anya to a degree um, is that, recognition of okay we've had four seasons with Mm. the same core scooby group yeah and we know them and recognize them and expect them to win and expect them to be you know the Mm. ones we're sort of cheering for or whatever you know like there's a lot of you know even though like last season we had the sort of oh you know we were pulling apart and then we come together again at the end right you know at this point it's like okay well great you've come together and now like you can't do another story about them coming apart and then coming together again because that's already been done. So what do you do now? You have to sort of let the people who have been on the fringes all along. Um, and, and I like too that, like there's a aspect here of you, you would almost expect it to be another Dawn centered episode at Mm -hmm. this point, because like now Buffy has sort of learned about Dawn and knows what she is. And so like, you almost expect it to go back to like that second episode where it's, you know, Dawn writing in her diary again and right, whatever. Right. But like, it's like, nope, we're going this way. We're going right, to, right. we're not, it's not like, in a sense, we already know the setup of the seasonal arc because we have Lori and we know she's looking for the key and we know the key is Dawn and we know Buffy's going to now protect Dawn. But it's like, right. hey, wait a minute. Like, just because we know the story arc for the season, you know, or presume to know what that, you know, main tension anyway of the season is going to be like, let's not forget that we do have these other characters. Like let's not, you know, there are shows that would totally focus on that and just take it and run with it. But now it's like, Whedon's like, no, we still need to think about the people who are on the sidelines and sort of, you know, give them a little more. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's, that's the, the danger of the like arc driven show is that you can become too mm-hmm. obsessed and myopic with like, you know, whatever your central kind of story or mystery is and forget like, Oh, you have other characters and 
they yeah. have stories too and they're interesting um and it makes everything more interesting if you spice it up and move it around um but your point about dawn reminded me that like i like the way that um the opening sort of monologue where tara is telling you know the little story about the orphan kitten and everything um mm -hmm. could kind of work both ways because you realize there's like you know it ends up kind of being about tara and about her feeling alone and being adopted by this family but in the beginning if you're expecting this to be another dawn episode you could read that about dawn too that mm -hmm. you know they have this person who sort of turned up with no you know um you know we know no real family who is again being adopted by you know buffy's making the choice to adopt her into the family so we can talk about that later but like even though yeah. the story's not really about dawn it's still there's sort of overtones of her story in there too that mm. she and tara are both and like you said and anya too there are all these sort of fringe people who've been sort of adopted into this family and that is a very weedeny thing of like you know you think of firefly and you know it's yeah. all these people who are loners and have no family connections of their own but mm -hmm. you know find a family you know in this yeah. um, among each other so that seems like one of the stories he really is drawn yeah. to well and and when you think about it i mean that is sort of what like that's not necessarily where buffy starts but it is sort of what buffy has become at this point because right. you think about uh, other than buffy who else has any significant contact with family None of them nobody either. like giles we don't even know what sort of family he has right. and the sort of pseudo family he had the watchers council abandoned him so yeah, like yeah. you know they kicked him out so okay that's him you know um we saw sort of willow's contentious relationship with her mother and yeah. like a father who was apparently never around we never actually see the guy yeah um and i mean say i mean buffy's dad we see once or twice but don't mm -hmm. really you know see him much um and and now we see you know well and, and xander like we know he hates his family and doesn't mm -hmm. even though he like lived in their basement he wanted to get away from them right know, right as much as possible and now he's in his own apartment and stuff so yeah like just sort of these different you know aspects of like all these uh people again except for buffy who still has you know joyce and now dawn mm -hmm. you know uh it's sort of like taking in all these strays you know kind of right, uh right. you know and now even anya you know like she was a demon whatever family she might have had mm -hmm. is long gone and her demon friends whatever they might be are long gone so like you yeah. know there's another one and now you know we find out that tara was kind of like running away from her family and for good reason it seems right right um you know so so there is definitely this um sort of aspect of of the misfits sort of come banding together and forming their own family and that's mm -hmm. i mean we didn't have said that's that's what he loves and mm -hmm. you get the same sort of flavor in angel too um obviously yeah, definitely so yeah um but yeah let's talk about Tara. oh i i was when you were talking about sort of um you know focusing on fringe characters too 
you know, this is also obviously a much better execution than, say, Mickey and Paolo in Lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, we want to focus on these fringe characters who nobody's ever heard of before, and that yeah. just didn't work too well. So Yeah. Uh, We're not going to bury Tara alive, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm not saying anything about how Tara survives or doesn't. I'm just saying the execution of this particular story is a lot better than that one. Well, Um, and I think the reason is that with them, spoiler alert, um, they really were just sort of introduced out of nowhere. And I think what's annoying about them is that they're introduced out of nowhere and then act as if they've, you know, been there all along, you know. Um, Whereas here, it's been a very gradual process you know we've had her since what like halfway through season four where you know she just sort of was you know a friend that willow made and and has been gradually growing closer with and and i think tara's tara doesn't come in and act as though like i think it would be off-putting if she was suddenly acting as though she had been with them all along and knows everything and and you know, sure. it feels entitled to be part of this inner circle. Whereas I think it's more compelling to have someone like Tara who is very reluctant and shy and is having to be sort of slowly drawn out of her shell so that you like her, you want to see more of her, and she's the one who's being resistant. So, like, that's a more compelling, I think, like, mm. sometimes, like, reserved characters are you know not that they're better but they can sometimes be more interesting and that like you want to know more about her but she's she's not giving you as much as you so there's a kind of like tease there um so i think it's good like rather than have like introduce her with like a big central episode it's like no we've been building up to the really big episode you know and so it feels a little bit more deserved i think um and actually, so you just you brought up when Tara was introduced, it was actually Hush, yeah, uh, yeah. which was the fourth episode, um, or sorry, the tenth episode of season four. Okay, I had yeah. it reversed. Uh, and yes. and so yeah, like, but also an episode written and directed by Joss Whedon, so right. he created right. her character too. Right. So right. like, it, I I and I don't you know I'm not actually read if like he. Like, we've been getting hints about Dawn since way back in season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if, like, I don't remember if, um, if he had, like, has ever said, like, for, or, for right. Tara, if, if he had a real idea of where she would go, if she would become part of the group or whatever, mm-hmm. or if it just kind of became one of those things where, like, right, you know, right. in you chemistry like and working and with, wanna, yeah, yeah, the, with the other um characters and stuff like it you know he he figured out a way to sort of elevate her right um within the group and that kind of thing so anyway um it's a i guess to get more into like the episode it it's a pretty good um backstory because i feel like it i mean it gives you um this kind of it kind of makes sense of the sort of paradox of the character which is like 
that on the one hand she has this history with magic and this a certain amount of power and knowledge about it but on the other hand again this sort of um self-consciousness and reluctance and you know um kind of hesitance to to use the power or you know she, on the one hand she seems a little bit more knowledgeable and practiced than willow but on the other hand she's the first to say willow you're you know way more than i do i'll just stay here and watch you do your thing and like you know so you know by giving her kind of this background where magic has been a part of the family but it's also something that's been um looked on with disapproval that it's a part of her which needs to be sort of suppressed and shunned and all these things um mm -hmm. it kind of explains why she is the way that she is um mm. so i think that's a pretty it works a pretty good whether it's a retcon or i don't know at what point whether you know early on or later or whatever he decided that that was the story but i think it's it makes good sense of the character um yeah and uh and it's it's good too the way that when the family shows up, those kind of little nervous ticks come back a little bit more than they have been in a while. You know, like the stuttering and you know just her kind of mannerisms, just a little. I mean, it's not like she's been too much out of her shell, but she goes that much further back inside her shell when her family shows up. So you kind of realize how much Willow and the others have brought her out of that already um very slowly but she was already sort of heading in that direction i think yeah yeah let's see <laughs> no, I, yeah i don't i don't really have anything to add to that i mean i think i think you're right like i think that's that's all accurate <laughs> um well i guess let's talk a little bit more about the family itself. I mean, you kind of mentioned like they're this, um, I guess more kind of backwoods, uh, slightly unenlightened family dynamics. Um, we don't get any, now I can't, I can't remember about Tara's mom. Is she still alive? Do we know that? I uh, can't remember. Tara's mom is not alive. Okay. Don't, don't remember, remember whether we, we actually or not. have been told that okay. yet, but it, but it, that's that's. I don't remember at what point we learned that, but it, I don't know that that's a huge right. Um, it kind of seemed that way. That was kind of my question. Was like, it yeah. seems significant that we don't see her. That like, you know, it it it's, you know, this sort of oppressive dad coming back. You know, um, to yeah. sort of put her in line her, and uh her that said i so i'm trying to think what i can't remember like sort of what exact age they are all now like 19 or 20 uh I, she's turning 20 so she's turning i think 20. they're all turning um, 19 or 20 i think i think that i think that's right so um tara's mother dies when she's 17 so like okay. she's not long dead. it's not like okay when she was a young girl, her mother died. Like she's, her mother's dead, but it's been like Recently, a few years. Right, like right. not, not, a, 
you know, more than a decade or something like that. Right. Um, again, not sure if that's actual information we have yet, but it is. We'll find that out. It, yeah. I mean, it's not. And again, like, I don't, I don't think that's a huge, like, spoilery thing. Like you said, it sort of already seemed like, um, and he, and they even, they, the father even sort of hints at it, although it's not clear whether maybe he's hinting at the mother being dead or the mother being a demon or whatever. Like, mm. there's a couple, like, sort of ambiguous references there. Um, right. But um, anyway. So, I'm trying to think of where to go next. Um, well, okay, so here's one thing. Which, you know, maybe my only kind of, I don't know whether you, and I'm not even sure whether I really think this or not, but the one thing that occurred to me that sort of rubbed me the wrong way is I'm a little disappointed that there's a little bit of backpedaling at the end about whether or not Tara's part demon. You know, there's the kind of, you, you, you do find out at the end when Spike punches her that, mm -hmm. um, you know, he couldn't punch her if she was, you know. Right. If she was, if she, if she was, if, she, if he, he gets hurt because yes. she's human. Thank you. I got right. confused for a second right. <laughs> about the mechanics. Um, so, you know, I mean, on the one hand, like, I kind of like that that exposes the fact that the whole thing is just a sham, a, a you know. Fraud, yeah. 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 Um, so I guess maybe that's the kind of, there's a little bit more of like a metaphor of the week feel to this one, to me, where like, you know, it's mm. kind of talking about, you know, uh, girl power and like, you know, some of these, <laughs> uh, you know, older ways of, or not necessarily older, but other ways of thinking where, you know, girls yeah. are ashamed of, made to feel ashamed of, of power that they have that isn't, you know directly in in line with you know the male authority or whatever um but it's also kind of like oh we had this big affirming moment of we're accepting this part demon into our family and then it's like oh well not really you know so on the one hand i kind of like the message on the other hand it's sort of like i was a little disappointed that they didn't just go for it and have her be you yeah. know have her be really truly different um but I guess they have Anya there, so it's not like they're totally against the idea either. So right, um, right. Although Anya is also human, at this also point. human like now she's, too. She is yeah. no longer a demon. So right. yeah, I think. So I have kind of mixed feelings I, about it. I, I I see what you're saying. I don't I don't know. I mean, I I like because I, I agree with you insofar as it, there's definitely. Like, it's certainly milder than sort of metaphors of the week that we've had in the past. But, yeah. but I mean, I think you're right. There definitely is an aspect of the metaphor here where, um, yeah, the, but the metaphor isn't about, like, accepting. I mean, it kind of is about accepting what you are, but it's more about seeing who you really are first. Mm -hmm. And, and so um with you, you know with tara like she she believes she's demon mm -hmm. you know part demon and and that it's going to come out on her whatever and that's why she does the spell is to is so that the others can't see well of course the spell whether it 
whether it works or whether it like we don't actually even really get a clear sense of like did she do the spell she meant or was it a mistaken spell like did she only mean to make them not see her right. as a demon or did she really mean to cover up like seeing all demons right. you know right. um we don't know what her actual intent was we never really get an explanation there but like i think i feel like sort of the two of those things together it's like like her it's not even about like accepting herself it's about understanding who she really is and who she really is is that she's a human just like everybody else mm. and also i think there you know I, there's also the you know slight tearing down of the patriarchy now mm-hmm. you know i'm actually more disappointed rather than um with sort of the message around terror i'm more disappointed with um beth and you mm-hmm. know amy adams character who mm-hmm. like she's like you know oh see what you've done like now like you've it's like well okay like you've dismantled this sham but now perhaps in a very real way that's going to be worse for her because mm-hmm. now she has to go back right. and what does she do does she pretend like does she go back to pretending that like what she's learned is not right. real right or if she doesn't pretend like how you know how much worse is that going to be in a family where clearly you know the men are extremely dominant and right. right you know what does that mean for her at this point um and interesting like that she's angry about that mm-hmm. like I mean, I can sort of understand it, but also, like, you kind of wish, like, hey, maybe, why don't you not go back with them? Right. <laughs> like, right. maybe, why don't you stick around Sunnydale? And right. I think, you know, for, I mean, honestly, that's unfortunately a situation where, I mean, some, probably more than we'd like to see, women find themselves is in that situation right. of, you know, even though I know this is wrong or not, you know, accurate or lies or whatever is happening, like, for some reason, I still feel beholden to my family, my boyfriend, my whatever, you know. Um, Well, and I think I would take it even one step further and say, like, you know, for certain cultures, I don't even know that she, you know, Beth as a character, has any revelation that you know, oh, this was wrong all along. Like, yes, I mean, she'd be pretty, you know, dumb not to realize, oh, this was, you know, a lie. But, you know, I also can see a character like her, you know, upholding this sort of way of life just because that's what she knows and she believes in it, you know? And it's not even a matter of... Mm right or wrong it's just the way that it is you know there's a kind of like um i mean on the one hand you want her to sort of also rebel but on the other hand it's like there's a realistic fact to the idea that she kind of goes along with it and you know will fight for the status quo as much as you know the the male family members do Mm -hmm. um like you see that in kind of you know, um, you know, as, as the feminist thing becomes more, like, more, not that it's new, but it's very much in the conversation right now. And you see women fighting for 
what look to me like, you know, anti-women positions, um, you know, as, as like a cultural thing. Um, mm. And to me, it's like, it makes no sense. Why wouldn't you stick up for yourself? But, you know, I think when you sort of are growing up with a certain way of thinking, it's hard to break out of that. Um, and it seems like Tara's done that because she, she got out. She's lived among, you know, she's gone to school. Yeah. She's lived on her own. She's met other people, you know, yeah. and not that, not that she has to suddenly drop everything about who she is and how she was raised. But I think she's been exposed to some, you know, more than one way of thinking and that's allowed her to sort of break out of that. Whereas you kind of have Beth as this character who is very much talking in terms of it's your duty to to be loyal to where you're from and to stay here and take care of the men folk and that's sort of your your job. Um like you're letting you know it, your your dad and your brother won't be able to take care of themselves if you don't come back and take care right. of them and it's your duty to do that. Right. Um, so, and that's sort of what she's chosen to do, I think. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously we don't get much from Beth, so it's hard to, you know, say too much about it, but I, I get a lot of the similar, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, feelings at least from, from the brief conversation we have and, and that, you know, I mean, I think from Tara's perspective, I think what, what we can do is at least applaud her <laughs> for, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, e even though like it's taken her, you know, cause she's, you know, what, at least in her sophomore year now, right. Of, yeah. of school. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I mean, it's taken her a couple years at least to sort of really understand. And it's not even till now that like she, she now fully knows that, all of that stuff was a lie. So like, which, which kind of gives her even like, you know, not having someone like, you know, spike the hitter in the face and prove yeah. that she's not really a demon, you know, around, you know, the fact that she was able to sort of get away and intuitively sort of realize that what was happening was wrong, even mm -hmm. though she might not have been able to describe it right accurately is, you know, good for her. Um, Right. Well, and, I, and, and it takes a lot of coaxing because like even in here, her instinct isn't to stand up for herself or tell them where to go or do any of that. It's like, no, let me do a spell to hide myself, lie to everybody, you know, yeah. and then it's really... Because that always works. Because it always works. Doing spells on your friends and lying to them <laughs> always works. I know. It's, it's the tried and true. What can go, what could possibly go wrong? Um, uh, and which I want to say the same thing to Buffy when she's talking about, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone about Dawn. I really think that's the safer thing. And I'm right. like, Buffy, you <laughs> have you never right. watched your own show? Um, <laughs> but with Tara, like even it's not until, you know, you have Buffy and everybody else, you know, standing in her path, you know, so ready to stop her family from like dragging her out of there and then i think 
the key thing with Willow is that Willow turns it to Tara and makes it Tara's decision. You know, mm. that Willow's not saying, Tara, you have to stay, you have to do this or that. She's saying, what do you want to do? And, you know, even when the dad's trying to shut her down, Willow's saying, like, okay, we, I know it's not my decision, it's Tara's decision. You know, mm. and that seems to be, she finally then... When she knows she's not going to be forced to do anything, I think she's finally at the end able to make, you know, a decision. So, sure. um, so it's good. And, um, well, and so before we get like the big family moment at the end, I wanted mm -hmm. to mention too, like the kind of awkwardness that the others treat her even like in this episode like it's not like mm. it's not like a, a you know until now that you know they've been such great friends really it's like she has been very firmly a fringe character so like you know sure. you have all the the funny conversations about her birthday and like what are we you know we don't really she's really nice you know like right we we don't know anything about her but but She's, we just know she's really nice and she likes Willow, you know, and Giles, on the one hand, Giles kind of laughing at them, like, really, you know, she's a witch and you don't know that she wants magic stuff from the magic shop where you are, but also he gets her a crystal ball. It's not like what he gets her is this really deep, insightful thing. It's sort of like still one of the most like kind of generic things that he can get for her too. So, you know. But even in the end, it, you know, it, it's not so much about how well they know her. It's about sticking up for her and giving her the chance to get to know them better, I think. Mm. Um. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, I think it's... I mean, it's, you know, going along with the, okay, here's, here's a fringe character. There is a sense too, that after a while, like if you're good friends with someone, you're just sort of going to become good friends with their romantic interest, <laughs> you know, right. like whatever, like, you know, if, if they're a good person, but there's also like, it's like that also that thing of like, you know, if you're, if your romantic interest is not so good to you, then maybe mm -hmm. you would still get to know them better because like, I don't know, maybe you're warning your friend about them or that kind of thing. Right. Whereas like with Tara, it's kind of been up to this point, this sort of, you know, nebulous sort of thing. It's just like, Oh, it's this person who kind of hangs out mm -hmm. with Willow from time to time. And, you know, she happens to be around us from time to time, that kind of thing. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think back to, well, so like in the be, being, uh, beginning of the episode when they're moving Buffy back out of her dorm room mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and Willow's kind of trying to, you know, talk to them about like, you know, okay, remember Tara's birthday and, you know, this and that. Um, and thinking back to previously when Willow's been like, hey, I don't want to introduce you to all my friends, Tara, because I want you to keep. I want to keep you as something for me that's mm -hmm. just for me, you know, whatever. Like, now there's a shift in that for Willow. Yeah. Because now it's like, 
hey, wait a minute, I want you to be in every part of my life. Right. So, you know, I don't, I, you know, I do want to keep you sort of for me and we'll talk about cats and tell funny stories, mm-hmm. you know, like they do in the beginning, but also, you know, I want you to be involved in this other super important thing um, right. in my life, which is, you know, my Scooby friends. And so, so I do think that there, that we have that shift there and it, it becomes a point of where you do have to sort of, from a storytelling perspective, you do just have to sort of decide like, okay, how, how long can I really keep Tara on the fringes? And so Mm -hmm. this, this is definitely a good way to sort of help bring her into that fold because what's the alternative? It's to just push her away. I think if, if you're going, I mean, I suppose some writers would just sort of ignore her altogether, but if you're going to give Tara any sort of characterization beyond Willow's special friend, uh, you know, you do have to, you have, you kind of have to go one way or the other with it. So I like, I like the way that, um, it happens. I also think just from a, just again, going from sort of storytelling perspective, I like the way that the way, you know, the things that Tara does, does sort of inner, inner loop or interact with the glory mm-hmm. subplot in this episode. But, you know, we know that the glory thing is no longer seasonal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, story too. So like, I thought it was really well, you know, sort of coming up with that idea of blinding them to sort of demonic influence. Right. And that affects the demons that uh, Glory sends after them and that kind of thing. And so you find out, which is interesting because, you know, we know that Tara has magic and, and like has used it a little bit. Like, you know, she and Willow like push the vending machine against the door or was it in hush when they yeah, were yeah, like yeah. hiding from the you know so like we've seen like little bits and pieces of that kind of thing and and you know she's helped willow at other times but it's always been it's always been that it's always been sort of helping willow so right, like now right. we see we get to see her do magic on her own but it's the wrong sort of magic it's magic that ends up hurting or potentially hurting yeah you know the people who are her friends and so um kind of an interesting way to see that, that she actually is sort of her own powerful mm-hmm. uh, witch in her own way. But again, you know, it's all about the motives and all about the, are yeah. you, do you have the right motivation to do, do this sort of thing? Um, well, and the, and the working as a team, you know, that yeah. going off on your own is right. and doing things for your own reasons without considering other people generally causes trouble you know whereas if she had accepted willow's invitation to come work with the scoobies on trying to figure out about glory that might not have happened you know that she would have been working with the group and they would have been aware when the demons attacked all this you know you know you can like obviously nobody got hurt so no harm no foul but on the same time you can kind of see how it could have worked out it would have, you know, been safer had she, you know, gone uh, and been, you know, a member of the group when she was invited to be. Um, So, yeah, no, and it is good, like, it's nice, it's always nice when you can kind of make plots of the episode that seem different sort of end up influencing each other. Um, So... Yeah. I guess we can talk about um I guess let's talk about Glory too. Did we have anything else for 
Tara and... Uh... No, not really. I guess just um, just to say that generally from what I've read, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the main criticism of this episode is uh around Tara's family that they seem a little one-dimensional and sure. and whatever. I mean I understand I understand that to agree like I don't necessarily even disagree with that, mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like how much complexity could you have in the amount sure. of time that they appear? So Yeah, it doesn't really seem like it's going for like I don't get the impression that we're going to see much of them anymore. You know, like... Right. And I, that's a realistic impression because we will see none of them okay. <laughs> after like, this. I mean, if they were, like, a recurring <laughs> thing, I think I'd yeah. want a bit more nuance. But, like, this is the crappy family that Tara, like, is trying to distance herself from. That seems about right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, in a sense, that there is, you know, there is some validity to the sort of... Uh, you know, stereotypical, you know, ultra conservative, uh, patriarchal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, family idea. And like, I don't, I, you know, there are families and cultures, we'll call them, that mm-hmm. do live that sort of way. So like, I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily think it's even like an inaccurate picture right. to some degree. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe slightly caricatured mm-hmm. a little bit but mm-hmm. I, you know again like I don't right. I don't know how much we would expect to get in this one episode um well and and, and any, also like any people that think that way have a very one-dimensional way of thinking I think sure like I think there are real live people who are fairly one-dimensional <laughs> so you know fair enough even that um, is not out of the realm of like yeah, they're not the most nuanced characters ever, but I also didn't find them unrealistic, really. Um, you know what? But, at least but not th- terribly. And then again, you know, neither are half of the vampires that Buffy defeats. All we see is them. Grr! I want to yeah, suck your blood. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing in in both of these shows. I mean, sometimes you want really. Uh, philosophically nuanced villains and sometimes you just need a Dalek who comes in and like tries to shoot you and like (laughs) it's not about that it's about it's about Tara and what she's escaping from it's not you know about uh all the kind of complexity of her family you know um anyway yeah 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 so I mean I just I wanted to make sure we at least acknowledge that um that that is a uh criticism but you know i don't i don't it's not one i particularly share i don't it sounds like it's not one you do either so we can move on (laughs) okay well okay so let's move on to glory um so a couple things you know buffy says you know says she's very sure that she'll come back and then we get her kind of bursting out of the rubble you know just <laughs> like we we thought she would um yeah and now she's upset um so a, a couple things i want to mention buffy's comparison of her to cordelia just <laughs> mm. sort of interesting um i think cordy's evolved a considerable amount 
in the time that we've known her, but there's that kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, sort of vanity to her that I guess is, you know, at least from Buffy's perspective, there's a comparison there. Um, and um, from Glory, we get, you know, this idea that she didn't know who Buffy was, you know, or who she was fighting, and is sort of embarrassed in retrospect that she was fighting her, you know, if I had friends and if they heard about this, you know? Right, so, yeah. The, you know, t- kind right. of telling us a couple things. One, that she considers herself above fighting a vampire slayer, and two, she has no friends. Right. So, Well, and, and what does that tell you, too, about her thoughts of, oh, a slayer, so common. There's right. one in the world. Okay, now right. there's two in the world. Right. But, right. like... That's kind of the extreme other end of common. Right. right. <laughs> so, you know, how does this, how does, like she, uh, you know, we almost could have, if, if this episode was focused on glory, we could have taken the line from uh, Doctor Who about, you know, the narcissism. No, nothing's mm. bigger than my egoism. My egomania, you know? yeah. <laughs> or egomania, yeah. You know, like there's this there's this idea that she not only is she above everyone, but she's above unique Mm -hmm. personalities as well. And like, she's, she's uniquer than everybody else. Um, if you wanted to say it that way, which I just did. And it was kind of awkward. Well, and, and, and her name is a holy name, you know, her name is a holy, yes. Glory. Yes. Um, (laughs) which we still haven't heard, but her 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 actual name, knowing her name, I can see that that is a reference to it. So she considers her, so it's not only unique, but kind of divine, you know, like it's a holy name. Right. Certainly in her view. In her mind, yeah. It is. And and we've seen sort of the, um, the, the uh, sycophantic demons who were with her uh, previously. So, I mean, you know, we don't know sort of everything that's going on there, but, you mm-hmm. know, she does seem to have, I mean, she's obviously powerful. Uh, she has a, a divine sort of name, it seems, and uh, at least has some followers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how much of this, you know, we can we can extrapolate at this point remains to be seen. But we also see that she's able to enlist these mm-hmm. uh, other demons yeah. into her service um uh, and i the name escapes me and i'm looking for it. i don't remember yeah. how to pronounce it it's like Laoc demons or something like that yeah something like that um so yeah i mean anyway like i don't know that the names are super important they're right. you know talk they're about right. shallow they're talk about shallow minions. characters <laughs> yeah talk about shallow characters they're they're demons who want to kill people yes for whatever or, reason. Or suck bone marrow, apparently. Suck, well, um, I mean, that would probably well, kill Well, th- this is true, but kill in a very <laughs> specific way. Right. Um, That's why, like, for whatever reason, though, they're just, they're, they're out there hunting people. Um, right. right. And we see, so... Right, so speaking of weaving all the plots together, they're at the hospital, where is, we see Ben again, but... He, yeah. But... Is Ben been around enough to actually be a plot yet (laughs) (laughs) the Um, hospital seems like a recurring plot no i i yes no that's absolutely right the hospital is and and ben's a motif i think not a plot we've seen yeah he's a motif (laughs) that's a good way of putting it we don't know his significance yet if he has any um 
other than you know that he's been around he's in the hospital he's he, I, i'm not even sure like what his sort of medical state we know he's like in medical school right but he he's calls like, himself a male nurse right he's like who a nurse who's maybe getting his medical degree or something yeah something know. like that so like we don't really have a clear picture yet of what he is or what he's doing but um we've also seen him sort of around the crazy people yeah. A couple of times too. Yeah. Um, right. Which we get again here. And, and I'm still presuming that some, if not all of them are, are Glory's handiwork, you know, um, mm. you know, just because I we've mean, seen it, you know, it's, it seems like, and he says like, this is it, yeah, a bunch of cases in the last week, you know, it seems unlikely when you've seen one that there aren't going to be more like, right. you know, the, you know, you're it, knowing that, I mean, we don't know how long glory has been around, but yeah, yeah. We've seen a couple of these and not just, and, and not only that we've seen them, but they've sort of hinted at knowing who or what Dawn is, mm -hmm. uh, and in more than one occasion. So like if there's a connection there, yeah. As well. I mean, we know that there's a connection between Glory and Dawn at this point. So mm -hmm. it's not surprising to think that some, whatever happens yeah. might be triggering something that they can see. But um, so, yeah. So Ben in the changing room mm -hmm. and we get this demon sneaking up and then Glory sort of appearing out of right, right. nowhere. So like now we also have Ben... In proximity now they don't seem to ever like see each other so mm -hmm. you know but they're nearby <laughs> right i'm not suggesting anything by that other than just to say like ben's getting like you know is he just this guy who's sort of like a normal guy who's going to get sucked into things like we mm -hmm. don't know that what's going on but yeah i've just make sure that we notice that he's still yeah. sort of popping up here and there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and getting closer to the other plot points and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, sorry, go ahead. No, well, I was going to move on to Dawn, since she's mm -hmm. sort of still kind of, again, lurking in the background of Glory's story. Um, but we don't get... Um, a whole lot new about her mostly what we get is uh buffy's sort of um decision you know which we got last time but we get her kind of verbally saying to giles that you know she not only does she feel responsible to take care of don but she wants to do it that you know she's this isn't a, a burden any longer it's something that she's decided you know that she kind of it's a it's a self-generated responsibility it's not just like oh the mm. monk saddled me with this annoying kid it's like no she's she's my sister and buffy's adopting her just like they're adopting tara um and i do feel like clunking her on the head with her whole it's safer if i don't tell anyone anything speech <laughs> so you know there's that i'm sure but... that'll that'll go well but I do want to say, I do want to point out that yeah. there is growth here. Okay. Because at least she's in the telling past, Giles. <laughs> yes, in the past, she wouldn't have even told Giles. Right, right. And so 
I mean, I don't, I don't know that that necessarily solves the sure, sure. You know, the the the, and, the same problem that you're pointing out, but but there is there there's at least an aspect here. And I, I actually, I think with Buffy, there's a couple things because one, we have that. Also, we have like Buffy is actively now training and all of this on her own. Like we we've talked a little bit about that. You know how like she's it's like renewed vigor. I want to be a good slayer. Like mm-hmm. this is. I've gone through my rebellious phase, you know, I've tried to ignore things, I've, you know, whatever. Now I want to really embrace what it means to be a slayer. Yeah. And in a way, that might also fit in with the arc of the season. I'm not saying it does, just saying we could look at it that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, protecting Dawn and taking on that responsibility of the protection might be a way that that manifests itself. Mm-hmm. Um but we also see that in, so, you know, her telling Giles, her training and stuff on her own, which results in her ability later w- with the invisible demons to mm-hmm. rely on her other senses, which is something that, right. I mean, we've sort of seen her do trick stuff like that before, but it's like now she's like, right. has that piece that to like, ninja skill she, like, yeah, she yeah, thinks about yeah. it and she can like, you know, hear the scuff of a boot on the floor kind of thing right. and know exactly right. where they are and where to kick and that kind of stuff. So... So there is that idea of right. There's payoff like, for the she's, training she's doing. Yeah, she's she's training. She's relying on her watcher more, like trusting him more, and you know, going to him at least, even if she doesn't trust the entire team quite. Yeah. with the same info. Um, well, and I want to say too, like my any annoyance I have is purely as a omniscient viewer who you know the rules of narrative tell me that this can not. This can only go sure. wrong. From inside the perspective of the character, I get it. I don't think it's out of character. And I don't think... I think if you're Buffy and the weight of the world is your, is on your shoulders, you do have to be careful about who, what information you share with who. And Buffy has this sense of feeling responsible for these people and protecting them. So I do get it from like the character point of view. Like it makes sense to me why she's not sharing it. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's only when I take myself out of the narrative that I go, you know, obviously this is going to go badly, but, um, you know, I don't think it's like bad writing or anything is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah. No. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily think you were saying that. I just think, um, I, I do want to acknowledge that there is, that there is growth here and that I, and I'm not even saying that you're wrong to, sort of right want to no but you're right you're that. right that, that there um, are times where she would have just kept it entirely to herself yeah and and i think i mean too there's an aspect of this is a really weird thing you know like sometimes it just takes a while to process before yeah. you can tell people stuff like your right. sister doesn't hey, really exist hey, and is a ball of energy not really real like yeah. yeah how do you that's an awkward conversation to have yeah. Um, you know how we joke about wishing each of us was not really our sister? Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, for you, not a it's joke. true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely. I, I'm I I agree with you. Just wanted to point out that. Yeah. You know, there is at least some willingness to take on some responsibility there that mm-hmm. in the past she would not have. She would have just sort of gone off and right. did whatever she wanted to do. Well, and she moves home, too. Um, 
another, another aspect of her responsibility right, taking. Right. Yes. Um, she says to kind of be with her mom while she's not well, but also to keep an eye on Dawn, really. Seems like, mm-hmm. a, you know, more than a little part of, you know, and you get that of her over, so, you know, before it was like, get out, get out of my way, go to your room, you know, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, she can't even cross the street for, you know, to go to her friend's house. Um, right. And I, I like the way, um, you know, she makes this completely unreasonable, you know, decision of, no, you can't even go to your friends. It's family night. And then rolls her eyes like, oh, she drives me crazy. Like, <laughs> you right. know, and right. can't even see the complete irony of the way she's completely changed her attitude. So, yeah, yeah. And, or why Don's frustrated is, you know, it's like, well, I'm just right, looking out right. for you, but like, right. since, whatever since when Dawn was that ever a problem like, before? Yeah. And whatever Don, whatever Don says is going to be like, oh, she drives me crazy. It doesn't even like matter. Um, so, you know, yeah, a little bit more loving towards her sister, but still that sisterly kind of annoyance. Yeah. Um, right. Can you just do everything I say because it's good for you? Right, All right, and not ask questions. You know, yeah, not roll right. your eyes. So yeah. Um, um. So we only have a few minutes left. Should okay. touch on one or two. Yeah. Other characters. Um, Riley. Yes. I think we need to mention. We do. Um, he goes to Willie's bar. Right. Um, right. Which which is which is an interesting place for him to go because we know that. And, um, like he sort of discovered it as, as a, uh, over, not overdosing. What's the, you know, when he was sort of going through withdrawal. Yeah. yeah, From the, the the opposite of overdosing. Right. And Um, kind of like almost shot up the place, like sort of like a little crazy in there. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a flirtation Mm -hmm. kind of going on with this vampire Sandy. Now, um. Did you recognize Sandy? No. No? Okay. I wouldn't have expected you to. And honestly, I don't think I would have remembered if I didn't read it, <laughs> um, like, on, on the wiki page mm-hmm. before um, we were doing. But she's actually, um, if you remember back to Doppelgangland, when the Wishverse mm-hmm. uh, Willow, Vampire Willow, crossed over. Mm-hmm. Um and they went to the bronze and she killed a woman like sort of in front of everybody else mm. bitter just sort of in cold blood that's the same mm. sandy mm. um very like one of those things like even if you watch it four times you still might not <laughs> right. pick up on that right um, funny but but it it is pointedly the same person okay um this is now you know vampire sandy, vampire sandy. <laughs> uh you know who who vamp willow turned um back then but uh just to point that out uh i i don't want to make too much out of it but i i will say it's not the last time we see sandy okay so um just wanted to note that um and yeah like more more than sandy just the fact that we have riley going to yeah a vampire bar (laughs) right right so what's going on there yeah well, and his kind of, again, continuing frustration with still feeling like Buffy doesn't really, mm. you know, fully uh, 
trust or, you know, rely on him to the extent that he would like. I mean, here he's still kind of doing the, the very domestic thing of I'll unpack your room while you're out, like, you know, vampire slaying, you know, you know, like it, it, the, the ways he's being helpful are not the kind of, uh, macho ways that he would prefer um and he and also more than that i think he has the sense that there's stuff going on and buffy's not sharing and Mm. that seems to be more so even what is getting under his skin um so yeah he comes there at the end you know he's at the party seems like they're cool but yeah definitely a kind of slightly dangerous moment in the bar um you know, with uh, kind of a surprise there of her being a vampire, you know, of, of, you know, for a moment you think it's dangerous because, oh, is he going to go with her? And then it's like, oh, she's a vampire and he knows. So, of course, he's not. But it's still, there's that suggestion that, mm. you know, he's out on his own, um, you know, getting drinks and buying other girls' drinks. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and so, I mean, there's not necessarily anything untoward happening here, yeah. but there is, there is the sort of mutual keeping things from others going on mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. And just the act of him going to this kind of dive vampire bar right, well, itself is sort of like. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a place he would go if he were happy in his relationship, you know? <laughs> like, right. That fact in its own is sort of, the fact that he wants to go there is revealing enough, I think. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. I don't have a lot for Giles. Um, really. A couple funny lines. I don't really have much for Giles, actually. Um. For Anya, I just, you know, want to point out her kind of useful member of society thing of like, you know, um, that continued pride in her um, (laughs) being a cog in the machinery of capitalism, you know, like that she gets to, you know, sell things and work with the money and, you know, um, is sort of proud at the end when she tells them that, you know. She's not one of the evil demons. She's now a functional member of society. So, right. Um, just sort of her happiness about that. Um, yeah. Um, but too, I like that. Like she still sort of uses her expertise to. Yeah. You know, like like of course she's gonna be the one to think. You know, all, all the humans are like, "Oh, Tara's a demon," but right. she's like, "Well, wait, wait what?" What, what kind, kind of, of demon? demon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like there are a lot of kinds of demons. What what kind of demon is it? And 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 the typical, well, evil's evil, which, you know, again points to that, you know, and maybe this is an argument for what you were going for earlier about, you know, maybe Terra should have still been part demon or whatever, but you know, that that sort of question, ongoing question that we have for both Buffy and Angel of, you know, are are all demons actually evil right. or you know what what does it mean to actually be evil can humans also be evil mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing so 
kind of ties into those yeah. deeper questions in sort of a funnier way here with Anya. But right. um, anyway, yeah. Um, and then in the last uh, minute or two, I do want to talk about Spike and Harmony. <laughs> yeah. Talk about another dysfunctional relationship. Yeah, right. Um, Spike. And... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I don't need to go into all the punning that's going on and, you know, the fight that they get into um, and sort of what is the relationship of, like, you know, what's going on subconsciously with Spike, um, mm -hmm. you know, cutting between his dream of fighting, you know, with, with Buffy to his, uh, you know, other kind of relationship with Harmony and... Harmony is oblivious, of course. Um, so, and then, uh, I mean, with Spike, kind of, I guess he is really, I wasn't quite sure when he hears that they're going to kill the Slayer, whether he meant all along to go and help her or whether there was a part of him that really did want to go watch her get killed and then he sort of can't help himself and changes his mind in the mm. moment, I, you know, I think you could probably read it either way. Um, but in any case, he he can't. He has to join in and help her out. Um, so. Yeah. But he doesn't care about Tara. You know, he's invested in Buffy's safety. But, you know, he makes it very clear. I'm not here because I care what happens with the rest of you. Right. So, anything else? I don't know if I no missed no, anything I think, with them. I think that's all good, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks with all of that. Okay. <laughs> um. So on to Doctor Who, I guess. Yeah. Uh, extra long episode. Although yeah. I don't know that we'll necessarily take much longer to talk about it sure um i mean a lot of the episode is for obvious reasons uh between the doctor and clara yes. and we and kind of the we have the paternoster gang and and mm -hmm. the i guess the clockwork droids i was calling him cyborg guy but um that makes more sense knowing that there's like ties to i uh, i mean only because the of the girl in the fireplace yeah um um, yeah. and that kind of thing. So there's definitely, uh, definitely some stuff going on there. Um, but I mean, all of that sort of highlights the stuff that happens with the doctor yeah. and with Clara. Yeah. Um, so before we get to the doc, well, I mean, I guess maybe not before, but there's, there's a large part of the episode where the doctor's actually on his own. Hmm. Um, which I guess isn't that unusual mm -hmm. in episodes where... Like, he's meeting a new companion. Like, usually mm -hmm. there's a good portion where he's kind of on his own, and he either meets a companion and comes back, right. or whatever. Um, we haven't really had... I mean, we haven't had a companion who's been there for the regeneration since Rose. Right. So, I mean, right. we're talking... Six A long time? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like... Like, so that's, and I mean, and not that, I mean, there's only been one other yeah. regeneration. I, yeah, well, yeah. not, I mean, I guess unless you count the 
name of the doctor well day of the doctor yeah stuff, yeah but like night of the doctor like not. in between this there like really with the, with the eighth yeah. doctor and stuff yeah. but um anyway like yeah that 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 idea of you know there's a companion here so he's not really meeting a new companion mm-hmm. but she is meeting him and mm-hmm. so but there's also there is a sense in which he's meeting her because like when he comes out of the TARDIS initially, like there's this real clear sense. And, and we get a hint of this right at the end of the previous episode of him not remembering very much stuff. Right. Right. Uh, you know, so there is this sense of like, he is, it's not even just like, Oh, Hey, I'm a new doctor and I remember who you are. And now I need to get you to feel comfortable with me. It's like, he doesn't even really, no, for sure. I mean, he kind of has an idea, but he keeps getting like names confused right, and right. you know, calling them. You know, what, right. you're what, the same height, so I can't tell you. Apart, yeah, you I know. can't really yeah. tell you apart. Like he's not able to kind of distinguish between, right. you know, yes, the different Trax people or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I well, and and not, but not just Strax and Clara. Also between Baster and Jenny at first, right, right. Um, you know, and and like. Like, he remembers, like, bits of her, like, calls her the not mean one, the asking right. questions one. Like, right. okay, so who's who's the one who is mean? Like, do you mean Donna? <laughs> like, do you mean right, Amy? Right. Do you mean, right. like, who, 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 I'm it, interesting, I guess, that I go straight to Donna for that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like, there's that, that, yeah. uh, you know, that he just, he, it's like, I almost have my finger on it, but not quite. Like, there's something right. in the regeneration where the wiring didn't quite hook up. Right. the same way and so right. things maybe didn't quite you know get put back in order um to yeah which is a little bit there which, yeah and i mean that seems to be part of the the tradition of the regenerations that kind of post-regenerative uh loopiness you know of, yeah you know and that they're all slightly different um but you know like to your point about him being on his own for a while like I think it, it's kind of like another way of doing um, with the Doctor and Rose where you had him sort of unconscious all that time. So you yeah. had a chance for, like there, it seemed like his post-regeneration trauma was a little bit more physical, you know? Whereas mm. here, it's maybe a bit more mental, but you still have that chance for the companion to be on their own to try to come to terms with what's happened so you have rose sort of having to kind of have her moment of he abandoned me and i don't want this guy i want the old guy you know and you have the same thing with clara here of like you know this new guy i'm not so sold on him you know i'd really rather just have the and so maybe having them apart helps to do that you know so that you have them that before you can kind of bring them together you have them sort of working through those ideas sort of separately um you know so you have him trying to figure out who he is on his own and clara is talking with bastra and the others sort of on her own you know Mm. um because like when she's around him she's just angry and and i think it's good to have her be maybe having her with the pattern oster gang lets her be a little bit more honest and kind of say like okay this is what i'm dealing with you know, mm-hmm. um, and she doesn't have to kind of help him or sugarcoat anything. She can just say, this is why I'm upset. Um, right. So, right. you know. Um, Although she does say that to him later, too. Well, this is kind true. Of, this is true. Um, 
but I think I think you're right. Like that, it it does help her clarify at least why clarify. Huh? Mm-hmm. No, um, why she's angry. You know, to Vastra, which then later sort of makes it a more useful anger, I guess, like right. a more right. efficacious a anger more um, in a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, in insofar as she can then really pinpoint you know what it is that's making her angry and it's this this idea of like okay he changed Uh, and interestingly like so if if the running off does give her time to sort of adjust that Mm -hmm. there's also a sense in which his running off and sort of being cryptic and not really being direct with her or you know whatever which Partly has to do with the fact that like neither of them put places that ad, but well, right, right. But but there's also the sense of like you just kind of ran, you you were crazy and then ran off, right? Like, <laughs> right. She has so a even reason though, to be angry, yeah. Even even though, even though it's the being crazy and running off, which kind of gives her a chance to like, I, I don't know. There's a I there, there's sort of a paradox, I guess. I'm trying to sort of mm-hmm. uh, elucidate there, but I can't. I can't quite describe it in the way I want to. So I'm, I'm getting frustrated now, but like there, <laughs> there is this idea of, you know, that, that by running off, he gives her time to deal with what's happened, mm-hmm. but it's also part of what makes her angry at him is the running off and not being like, Hey, let's deal with what happened here. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't, I mean, I mean, again, like maybe that's the best thing he could do at least at the beginning because like, he's not, even clear on how to express what he's feeling either. Mm-hmm. Like he can't get people's names right. He, you know, his drawing all over the room. Like right. it's clear that he's got some idea of what, it, you know, his mind is trying to tell him, but he can't quite put it in the right order and mm-hmm. all of that. So, you know, there there are these things like happening that he is trying to process, and it's not till, um. Clara's really in danger and sort of expresses her belief that if the doctor is still really the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, he'll basically come help me and and I don't have to tell you anything because the doctor will be here for me. And right. which he then is. So Right. And that is it, the moment when he's the doc like the totally mm-hmm. there, coherent, doing the right. doctor thing. You know, like right. it's really not until that moment. And, and and there is like I mean, you know, you can read into that that like oh well the doc no matter what Clara said at that moment the doctor would have been there to save her but there's also you know that aspect of belief that it's it's Clara truly expressing to herself because the robots don't care you know the right. clockwork people don't care what she's really saying at that point anyway mm-hmm. like they just want to know where the doctor is that's the question they keep repeating but for her it's expressing to herself kind of the same thing that maybe Madame Vastra was trying to get her to realize before, mm-hmm. but that she didn't really believe until then of, yeah, you know, I, I just have to believe that the doctor is actually the same person and then boom, mm-hmm. there he is the same person. So right. there is that aspect of, you know, is it that the doctor is the same person? So of course he's there to save her regardless of what she says or believes, or is there an aspect to, you know, kind of the, you know, Tinkerbell clapping sort of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. of if you believe it, 
that's what actually is Makes is brought yeah. about the the circumstance. So, um, right, like the, the and it's ambiguous. Of course, we don't we don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I might have a personal preference for what I believe, but like in the context of the show, yeah, there is there is a aspect to you know you you could describe it through you know I don't know mental uh, uh, rain waves that the TARDIS recognized and sent to the doctor or something like, you know, there is some sort of pseudoscience that you could surround it in to sort of explain the belief thing. But there's also just that sort of simple fairy tale aspect of, Mm -hmm. I believe he really is the doctor. And so he's going to save me. Right. Right. Uh, That kind of thing to it. The companion's role is not just as the asking questions one, but as like, the doctor needs the companion, you know, which is kind of what the Matt Smith doctor says at the end of like, he needs yeah. you, like he needs you in a very real sense that the doctor without a companion isn't fully the doctor, that there's something mm-hmm. about the companion, you know, their faith in him that makes him who he is. So that's when he's able to sort of become himself, I guess. Well, and it's, it's, I mean, not till the end there, too, that we sort of get, you know, the 11th Doctor saying, you know, I think you might be scared, but just remember, he's more scared than you are. And yeah. and that's why he needs you. And, and of course, this is after all the stuff they went through. So, you know, there's there's a bit of empathy there that mm-hmm. that I think I don't know that Clara necessarily realizes that in the same moment when she's sort of allowing herself to believe that the doctor really is the doctor, but, Mm -hmm. but like she at least has to come to that conclusion to remain with him at the end, you know, Mm -hmm. when he's sort of standing there and saying, so who was that on the phone, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. Like, you know, that there is this idea of you think of the doctor as being, you know, Geronimo guy to just sort of jump into everything, Mm -hmm. you know, no fear, no whatever, but that actually, he is afraid and that that he doesn't really understand what's going on. And interesting to me, so to sort of extend the Matt Smith moment there for a bit, mm-hmm. interesting because we don't, like, he, he doesn't, he's just going on his experience. Like, you, you get the sense that by him saying that, this is what every doctor goes through. Like, right. every doctor, after regenerating, has this same level of fear. Yeah. And... And that, but we didn't see it in that same way when Matt Smith was, right? you know, he was, he was funny, you know, fish fingers and custard guy to Amelia. Like, you know, he wasn't, uh, he he didn't act scared Mm -hmm. in that same sort of way that we see, I think, in this episode, um, you know, the 12th Doctor acting scared. So, well, um, that's a good point. And it kind of brings up... um, this idea, I think that definitely, I mean, it's probably a comment in general of the doctor is maybe more scared than he seems to be in general. But sure. but I think it is specifically a regeneration thing of, mm-hmm. I know he's scared because I've been through this before and I know how scary it is. So you right. have to be a little patient with him while he's learning, you know, because scary as it is to be in a dangerous situation and face monsters... The scariest thing has to be waking up to find yourself completely different and not Mm. feeling like you understand. That's like, you know, more of an existential kind of fear, you know, 
Um, and, and not like the, not liking the color of your internal organs. Right, right, right. So even your insides don't feel right. And and I think with like what you're saying about Matt Smith is interesting about how he didn't seem scared. He seemed like the Geronimo doctor of like, yeah, like let's jump right in and try what food we like and, you know, uh, defeat the monsters and make friends and be fun and, you know, all this stuff. But I think it goes along with what we kind of retroactively or retcon learn about the 11th doctor is that this idea of that persona maybe not being a totally honest one, you know, of that, you know, so we get, we get a lot of this episode about the faces. Um, so I want to talk about Capaldi's face in a minute, but with mm -hmm. Matt Smith, Vastra talking about this idea of he flirted with you. Well, how did he do that? He looked young, you know, and that was for, this was like a veil that he wore for everybody. And that, you know, he's the oldest doctor, but he comes across as this, you know, kind of young, hip, fun mm. doctor that is easy to love, you know, and, you know, that, that maybe his kind of persona is a bit of bravado, you know, that, it, you know, he doesn't come across as scared in any situation, really. Um, that doesn't mm. mean that he isn't scared, you know, that it, it's right. sort of a personality that he adopted. Um, and... And I'm not saying he was fake, you know, but I'm saying like pretty much what Vastra's saying, that the, the different personas suit different purposes in the time that they're held. And maybe there was a bit of that going on with Matt Smith of this wanting to be accepted, like she says. Um, and I think this new doctor, for better or worse, is not as interested in being accepted. You know, that there's something a veil's been dropped. He's not as kind of appealing looking as he was. And I think as the episode goes on, you kind of see him drop the kind of, you know, more ingratiating persona. He gets a little bit sparkier as it goes on, you know, like mm. even with the tramp, he starts out kind of okay. And then it gets more and more threatening as it goes on, you know, until the end, it's demanding that he shut up and give him his coat. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about any of that, but I think it's kind of interesting to think of again in retrospect at the idea of the faces and the personalities as sort of roles that he's playing and different roles suit different times of his life, I guess. Um, and it's not like, I don't think it's a calculated thing. It's not like oh, I'm going to trick people into loving me by being Matt Smith. It's it's more subconscious than that. Like, I think the fact that he says in this that, like, I don't know why, where the faces come from. You know, they just sort of happen. They pop up. Mm. And I, I sense that there's significance there, but I don't know what it is. It's all sort of just sort of natural and internal, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, okay. The the. In insofar as Matt Smith acting scared, I think one of the things that that I'm just thinking about um, 
in thinking about all that is, okay, you know, if, if he is that scared sort of at the beginning, like maybe that's, maybe that's his way of being scared is to do the drama, right? Because there are, there are people out there who are like, you know, like the adrenaline junkie kind of like, you know, it's actually the fear that kind of drives them Mm -hmm. to do the extreme things that they like to do. Like there's, you know, the feeling of being scared is actually in a way a motivator. So like there is a sense there where maybe that's Mm -hmm. a similar sort of thing, which goes kind of along with the whole Geronimo theme, you know, of, all right, let's jump out, you know, Mm -hmm. this airplane and, See if we land right. Um, so I think there's that, which, but then just thinking about too, of the times where he actually is scared, mm-hmm. like makes it all that much more like, yeah, you know, makes you think of like, well, if these are the times where he's actually admitting to being scared, right. like right. he must really be scared. Right, kind of right. Um, so, so yeah. Um, with this doctor, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like how much of it you can. You know, how much we've seen at least, you know, this is the third sort of main regeneration Mm -hmm. that we've seen. Um, So we can get an idea of, like you said, like, you know, with the 10th Doctor, there was this sort of period of convalescence, I guess, you know, where he was sort of, you know, in bed. And we get a little bit of like that here, but it's like he just won't stay in bed. Right, like he, right. You, you know, he keeps having these little blackouts and catnaps, he calls them, right. but, you know, they're not, they're not really, they're not really effective in the same way. It's like, you know, the, the 10th Doctor needed, of course, we find out with the 10th Doctor that actually he needed, you know, what was it, the tannins and the tea or whatever, like it right, was that, right, like, actually, yeah. like, helped him wake up. But, um you know, it does seem like, like you said, like there was, it was more of a physical trauma. Whereas here it's like, you know, falling asleep, it's not, it, it doesn't really do anything for what's ailing him. He needs, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not sure what he needs. Is I guess it's, it's the, it's the finding out of, you mm-hmm. know, it's the solving of the murders kind of thing, mm-hmm. I guess is part of what he needs. Cause you know, um, initially, Initially, I guess it's it's the dinosaur, right? Like he he's translating in his sleep, so that's like clearly sort of on his mind or his yeah. subconscious or whatever. And then it's like solving what happens there with the incineration, you know, the the spontaneous combustion mm-hmm. uh, thing, and and then finding out that there's been more, and so going. So it's like what actually brings him into his right mind is is doing the thing that he does best. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm not a psychologist or anything. The little bit I have heard is that, that there is some validity to things like, you know, people who stay engaged mentally by doing like the crossword puzzles, Mm. uh, you know, or whatever are less likely to have dementia in older life Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, you know, or who, you know, who, who, um, you know, pursue, activities you know into their retiree years or whatever and like like i i mean we're you know we are talking about like the oldest doctor so there is sort of that 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 idea of like dementia and senility and whatever that could be happening and so it's almost like by doing this activity of Mm. of finding out what's really going on behind the scenes and saving people that that he's like 
like his body's been rebooted, but his mind needs rebooting mm-hmm. in that same sort of way. And it, and it's by doing the familiar things right. that he gets back into a semblance of who he is as the doctor and can, and can then go forward yeah. from there. Um, but what's interesting to me is after he's, you know, after he sort of, you know, had his big, you know, moment and, and I like too, that we don't actually find out whether, uh, the cyborg guide jumped yeah. or was thrown out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of the lady, you the can see it. Ending. You can see it sort of either way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think and, that's, that's kind of, you know, this isn't a spoiler because I don't think there's an answer to this question, at least not in this episode. But, like, I think the point of it is that's that's the idea behind this doctor, is you're constantly wondering, did he push him or did he jump? And you're never really quite, each is equally plausible, you know? And and so, but I think, I think despite that, you get, you get his assertiveness of, you know, I'm going to do the best I can to save the people I care about. And, but he's also trying to save the cyborg guy too. Mm -hmm. Like he's appealing to his humanity. You're more human now than machine kind of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, who do we mean by humans? Robots. Right. Uh, You know, that sort of thing. Uh, You know, so there, there is this, but he has to get to that point. He has to go through all the avenues that he gets, you know, it's the chasing down of, you know, the, the different pieces. It's jumping into the river and who, like, why does he jump in the river? Like, I, there's no real reason for <laughs> him to do it. My favorite shot is when Clara just turns around and you see him just sort of hop off the bridge there. Like, yeah, it's totally like a throwaway. Like it's really easy yeah. to miss, but it's really funny. Um, and why is he going down that alley? Like yeah. looking through the trash, like what is he, we don't really know, right? but whatever it is, like that's his, like that's his way of trying to find out or figure out this case or whatever, you know, of finding himself, so to speak. Like this is his, his way of, you know, going through the activity that gets him eventually to the restaurant where, you know, he needs to be with Claire or whatever. Um, And of course he's still asking like all these other questions of, I mean, so, all right. The face. Yes. He's asking these questions about his face, yeah. you know, and faces in general and looking like mirrors bother him, not in a vampire way that you don't see your reflection, but in a way that apparently bothers him because the mirror is furious. You know, it, <laughs> why is it furious? Because it's showing me this face that I don't know why I have it, you know? Well, um, and it's furious because he's furious. He's looking right, and seeing his right. own reflection, which is furious, you know? Right. And, and so there's, um, you know, these references to this face that he recognizes. Now, of course, we know it's Peter Capaldi's face. Right. Where have we seen Peter Capaldi before? Well, it was, you know, in the Fires of Pompeii. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I mean, maybe there's a different explanation, but that's what I'm thinking of when yeah. I'm thinking of, like, there's something about this guy that he saw years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the Doctor's timeline, yeah, centuries ago. ago. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so like, why did he choose that face? We don't know. Maybe that becomes a driving question that he needs to solve and figure out, right. you know, in this season or, or something. Um, or maybe not. Maybe he's able to let it go. doesn't seem like it the way they set it up and all <laughs> the talk about phases. Um, but there is this aspect of, um, 
like with the faces and the veils and the, mm-hmm. you know, changing of your body and, you know, talking about what you look like, but then also looking beneath that. And so in all his questions about why did I choose this face, there's also an aspect of it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because you're still the doctor, mm-hmm. regardless of what face you are. So, I mean, not that we get like all of that, you know, by the end, there's still open questions. There's mm-hmm. still, you know, sort of things to be solved, but you know, I think that that's part, we get part of the way there at least of, am I at least the doctor enough that you can bear to go with me? You know, Mm -hmm. um, also the very interesting moment there with the doctor and Clara of his, you know, I'm not your boyfriend. Mm. And she's like, I, I know. Although recently she was calling him, her boyfriend, you know, at right. Christmas pretend or yeah, yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, no, but pretend, yeah, but kind of in a way. to it, yeah. Um, and, and not the first time. Like, we've seen sort of the more affectionate mm-hmm. uh, uh, associations between the two of them. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, not, not necessarily a silly thing to mention. Um but the but of course the twist of well it wasn't you that mm-hmm. I was necessarily referring to right. uh, you know kind of reminding himself I guess that he's he's not in that way and even if he might have been as the eleventh Doctor potentially at one point like now it's it's not even in the realm of possibility that he yeah could be or should be well and I um, love that because. Um... I feel like the Clara, um, there's really interesting stuff with Clara in this episode that I feel like um, she's kind of a stand-in for me for, you know, an attitude towards a certain kind of segment of, like, the fangirl population. You know, that when Peter Capaldi was announced, there was this sort of, um, mostly pretty unfounded backlash against, you know, you know, young female fans of the show that, oh, nobody's going to watch because the girls only cared when, you know, it was Matt Smith and he was young and cute and nobody's going to watch Peter Capaldi. Um, and there was kind of other stuff too, you know, Capaldi made perfectly, you know, reasonable comments about how his doctor was going to be sort of, you know, less flirtatious than the previous doctors. And everyone, you know, there were articles that drove me crazy that kind of took that and ran with it as this sort of diatribe against, you know, all the girls who are corrupting Doctor Who into just being about, you know, the flirting relationships between doctors and companions. And it's just nonsense. And what I like about this episode is it kind of puts Clara in that position and accuses her of that and Mm. she defends herself you know and I like that conversation with Vastra who kind of says you don't like him anymore because he's not cute and Clara says you know excuse me that's not why I liked him in the first place and Mm. it doesn't it doesn't deny the fact that Matt Smith was a young, attractive actor. You know, it doesn't deny the fact that there was chemistry between the 11th Doctor and Clara. 
but I think it she kind of successfully defends herself against this charge that she only cared because he was her you know she could pretend he was her boyfriend you know that mm. it's about her kind of affirming that yes there's more to the doctor that I'm connected to than just what he looks like um mm. and it it shifts some of the responsibility it's not a one-way thing you know and I, that's what I like about Capaldi's thing at the end of I never said it was your mistake that it's not all about you know the girls who are lusting after young Matt Smith sure. it's also about we've had younger doctors who embraced that you know and and I think that doesn't mean that they weren't great doctors but we've had you know these younger actors who have you know had you know who've had more you know younger flirtatious relationships with their companions and that's been a choice of you know the show and the writers and the actors to do that you know you can't put that all on the fangirls and say you know right you know because that's an element of the show um so i just like the way it kind of acknowledges that and then just says let's get over it you know that there was nothing wrong with it. There was nothing wrong with having, you know, I feel like as long as the acting is good, the doctor can be anything really. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with having these, you know, younger, more romantic doctors, but it kind of deals with that and then says, okay, that was one aspect of the show. This is another one. And I don't think, and kind of, you know, saying like, I think Moffat putting his faith that the female population isn't going to desert the show, <laughs> um, which it hasn't, you know, the ratings are fine, you know, um, and Capaldi's doctor has been well received, you know, so um, I think the fangirls have done just fine by themselves. But I really like that kind of like subtext that's going on in this episode. Sure, um, sure. And yeah. So, <laughs> and and of course Jenny's applause. Yes, to Jenny to Vastra's uh, chagrin. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it it is a good point, and yeah, I mean it, it it is funny how you can sort of look at it either way because Clara is also the one with the pretty face, and you know whatever, and that it, it's like yeah. if you're just. You know, if you're just looking for a companion who's sort of a uh, pretty, you know, uh, someone who can stand beside the doctor and look pretty, like, that's clearly not the right show for you because that's not what the companion ever is. Yeah. And so, and, I and, feel like and nor that's should a... he or she be. Like, you know, I mean, mostly she, it seems sometimes, at least in here, but we we get males, you know, too, mm -hmm. and some of them you know, are rather dashing for companion, you know, males or whatever. But, like, that's not the point. Like, the point is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the point is that, that there's someone who will stand by and help the doctor and and vice versa. The, the doctor helps other people. Like, it's it's not about, you know, whatever whatever the relationship is, there is sort of that constant of yeah. you're there for, you know, to help each other 
help other people kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of helping involved, apparently. Like, that's the only word I can seem to yeah. think of. But Well, um, and I think there is a, there's the hypocrisy there of, you know, people only ever complain when the doctor's young and pretty. People don't seem to have, don't get up in arms about, oh, yet another young, pretty, you know, yeah. female companion. Like, that's fine, apparently. You know, like, nobody accuses the fanboys of, you know... Um, you know, only watching because, you know, it's Jenna Coleman, you know. Um, I think, in general, the fans are not given enough credit, you know. So, um, you know, again, as long as the relationship is interesting and the acting is good, then I think anything is valid. So, um, yeah, I I like that kind of layer to this episode. And I like, too, just in general it being a lot about um, Clara taking off her mask as well, that, you know, there's a kind of, there was a kind of sweet, unruffled side to Clara, which she's had up, you know, which kind of gets demolished in this episode. And, you know, she's kind of pissed off in this episode, and it's not necessarily her, her best side, you know, she isn't the most accepting of him at first. Um, and I kind of like when they come back together and are just fighting the whole time. Like, there's a kind of, they're having a spat, you know, and, you know, the bit about each of them calling each other control freaks, thinking that they're talking about the other one, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, that person would be a needy game player yeah. sort of person. She goes, oh, yeah. well, I'm glad you said it. And he's like, yeah, I know. You know, like, each of them is sort of <laughs> accusing the other. and <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah not really yeah. getting it so um you know yeah, nothing you, is more important than my egomania yeah. right you actually said that yeah like just just so we're clear on this you said that not me <laughs> you you said that um <laughs> and and like and like that it doesn't even phase her like she right. just keeps going right yeah. right on and, um, and that becoming a virtue in the end because her quick thinking and control of the situation is what saves her with the droids that she in a very doctorish way can keep them talking long enough to mm. like you know until fingers crossed the doctor you know helps her out and i kind of yeah. like that you don't really know whether he's there or not like there's a very real possibility that she was abandoned you know um yeah. but all she can think to do is to keep him talking and the way that she um you know, takes a tip from her students, you know, like from their sort of confidence of saying, you know, (laughs) oh, you're going to threaten me. Well, then do it, you know, and she, she learns from that. Um, Yeah, I really like that whole, that whole confrontation, how long it goes on and how she's getting more and more desperate, but at the same time, in a way, getting more and more confident the way she goes. Mm. So in in that way, you can see how her sort of controlling nature becomes a good thing in the end. Um, sure. It's sort of what enables her to keep control of the yeah. situation, I guess. Well, and that's, you know, interesting, because I wasn't really thinking about this until just now, but in a way that, that sort of aligns her with Tara in the episode of mm-hmm. Buffy we just talked about, because... It is about more recognizing who you really are and 
for Clara, it's um, Clara and Tara. Uh, <laughs> for Clara, it's it it is about sort of dropping that veil and and not that you know like we get the um, you know Strax when he goes through the physical exam. You know, deflected narcissism, traces of passive aggressive, and a lot of muscular men doing sport. Right. Um, you know, but but you get that like you get the qualified right. It's deflected narcissism, so mm. it's it's not quite embracing your narcissism. It's traces of passive aggressive it's like yeah you know it's it's that you're you're holding something back like you said there is kind of that you know she's holding up that unruffled exterior mm. kind of thing so there is there is definitely an aspect to it of um you know if you're a narcissist embrace it <laughs> you know what i mean like if you're don't be a passive aggressive if you're aggressive be aggressive mm. be upfront there's value in in sort of the being upfront in your confrontation mm-hmm. um you know in that respect and so there does seem to be an aspect of of doing that here and and in a sense like you know it's interesting too that they that they each think the description is of the other <laughs> and like you can't really disagree with either of them (laughs) so so there is almost this sense that in this respect like that maybe they are you you know like the doctor sort of saying i'm not your boyfriend it's like that's because maybe we're closer to family Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you know where our personalities are a bit too close you know you know that we you know we could never be lovers because we don't have enough opposite to attract you know each other (laughs) kind of thing like that there is that there is maybe, um, you know, a, a similarity of personality here that, uh, you know, works between us. Um, whether that's a good thing or not, I guess will right. remain to be seen. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Right. Yeah. No, there's a sense in which with the 11th Doctor and Clara, they were both kind of maybe as you do in a relationship when you first meet somebody, putting on your best face, you know, and... Mm you know, kind of literally, literally for... <laughs> you know, uh, kind of wanting to impress each other a bit. And yeah. now there's a sense in which that's kind of been dropped and they've each seen each other, you know, both kind of at their worst, but also for who they really are underneath. And, you know, on the one hand, it's, you know, not a good thing to sort of, it's not a good thing to take your loved ones for granted, but there's also a sense in which there's an honesty to when you can just drop any of the pretense and be Mm. honest with each other, you know, and that means that you're going to get into more fights, but also there's a kind of greater level of understanding between them there. So I think, you know, you kind of get that by the end that they've sort of, they've been through their first fight in a way and like come out the other side of it. Um, so yeah. Um, and the doctor's not a hugging person now. And I like his little, his little awkward hands held out. He doesn't really feel comfortable giving the hug back. Um, but he doesn't have a choice. No, he doesn't get a vote. Um, so Clara's upfront now about her, uh, her being in charge. Um, so something else I want to mention too with the doctor um, is the one thing I do think is nice to kind of have the 
clockwork droids around in this episode is because they kind of, again, reflect on this idea of faces and renewed, you know, bodies mm-hmm. and everything. And um, the doctor brings up this idea of the room, that if you replace the handle and then you replace the brush and you keep doing that, you know, is it the same broom? Well, no, because it has different component parts, but yes, in the sense that you can sweep the floor, so it does what a broom is supposed to do, so really what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, and and not, not just that, but there's also, I mean, that's what he mentions, but yeah. like in sort of the, the doing that, there's also like a lineage to it mm. now. Like, you know, like, okay, so say you replace a handle and then you replace a brush and then you replace a handle again and then you replace a brush. Like there's there's still a connection back to that original broom, mm. even even though none of the original parts are there, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an interesting idea because it is, I mean, obviously it is a completely different object Mm -hmm. but it still like you said has the same purpose and and i think there's that lineage of you know having sort of passed down seems kind of a weird way to talk about a broom but you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you know that there's this connection to each piece that isn't broken right Um, it's not like you just go out and buy a whole new broom and throw away the old one there's still those connections to all the pieces yeah um, going back. Well, and actually, that idea <clears throat> apparently is um, called the Ship of Theseus, or Theseus's Paradox, which is like a famous Plutarch thought experiment, um, which is like basically the same thing. Like, if you replace all the parts, is it still... So, I mean, obviously, you know, when he says, you, you don't even remember where you got that face from and holds up the mirror, you know, we're not talking about the... The droid or the brooms anymore obviously we're talking about the doctor and so again like the face i don't know that there's a right answer at least not in this episode but it again raises this question of our doctors you know it you know is the doctor literally the same is there a lineage um is he does he really change and is different when you replace his parts um it's just sort of further complicating that question, I think. Um, mm. But I think you do, at the very least, get that idea of lineage. And this goes back to what you're saying about his um, sort of focus with, with, you know, doing what he does and following the mysteries and everything, because you get that statement from him at the end about, um, I'm the doctor, I've lived for over... 2,000 years, not all of them were good. And I think it's about time I did something about that. So in a way, that's a kind of different statement of purpose than I think we've had before. Like, we've had him determined to solve individual mysteries and and problems and, you know, uh, defeat monsters and answer questions and all these things. But this idea of him having like an overall purpose that you know and in a way not even really like a positive thing but like a kind of i have done bad things and i'm now going to redeem myself for the bad things that i've done um seems to be kind of the sense of it um that's very different from like you know 
Matt Smith saying to Amy Pond, hey, all of time and space, you want to go for a ride? Like, that's just sort of this, like, <laughs> you know, more right. care, you know, and hey, we may save some people along the way, but we're really just, you know, Taurus sure. in the TARDIS, you know, whereas, you know, this doctor seems to have a sense of kind of, you know, purpose behind him. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's a function of the post 50th with this kind of, okay, we're now living in a post Gallifrey being saved world where, well, you know, and that, that was definitely what I was thinking. I mean, yeah. whether, whether that's what actually happens, but, but you do get kind of a sense, you know, with the idea of Gallifrey being out there mm. somewhere that, that there is a desire maybe not entirely up front, but like maybe somewhere in, in that mind of his to figure out how to not just have it stay saved, but to actually bring it back so mm. that it can be what it was, you know? Um, right. You know, and have the Time Lords return. And of course, then you get whole new plot devices that you can have to keep the story going. But, um, yeah, no, that's definitely sort of the way that I was taking it was that like, you know, you did like you get this shot out of, you know, the crack so that the doctor can be regenerated. Mm -hmm. But like Gallifrey is still behind that crack. Right, right. <laughs> or whatever. Like, like you kind of get the sense that like they're doing that so that the doctor can continue trying to save them yeah. in some way. Yeah. Like that's the only real thing that's going on here. Yeah. Um, from their perspective, obviously, not from ours necessarily, but... Uh, right, we haven't forgotten about this idea of I'm going home the long way around, you know? Um, yeah, that's still, yeah, so... Yeah, whether that's exactly his goal up front, I think that's definitely, you know, there's more of a quest idea to it now. Um, maybe a meandering one, but... Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's not quite as aimless as he was before, I think. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think in the last few minutes, um, I didn't have much around the Paternoster gang. Mm -hmm. um, we already kind of talked about, like, Vastra and Jenny. Sure. Strax is his usual humorous <laughs> self. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do want to mention is um, the the kiss between Vastra and Jenny, where she sort yeah, of transfers no, I, her life. Okay, well, you say, was, what, say what you were going to say, and then I'll... That was the only thing I was going to bring up as well. Okay. I mean, okay, fine. You know, lizard-human kiss, that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. um, my problem with it mm -hmm. is that how is that any more natural to a robot than breathing? Like mm -hmm. if, if their whole purpose of like holding your breath and then it's like, here, let me give you breath by kissing you, you right. know, in this weird sort of uh, way in the middle of this, you know, very dangerous situation. Like to me, it's like these robots have got to be really stupid. If the only thing they can <laughs> detect is breathing, yeah. but also like she's breathing. Right. Right. So, like, you're not even, like, doing the thing that you're purportedly helping her not do. Right, right. <laughs> so, 
that's my problem with it. Okay. Like the whole scenario is ridiculous yeah. to me uh-huh. because I just, I just like don't, it doesn't make sense from a, here's the whole reason why this is happening sort of thing to right. begin with. Also, like I'm, and in the same mode, like I, I actually would criticize the whole way that they sort of depict Clara not breathing with like her eyes shifting around and like tears and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, these robots are clearly going through great pains to sort of mimic life, yeah. but like they can't cry. They can't, you know, right. Right. Like their eyes don't shift around in that same way. Like you would feel like though, even though she's holding her breath, they would notice, like the, yeah. the tremors of her, you know, muscles and the, you know, this like that they would notice that sort of thing. So like even not focusing just solely on the kiss, which I think is flawed from beginning to end Mm -hmm. like just that whole idea of like this is how we detect yeah or keep from being detected by the you know uh cyborg sure whatever they're called clockwork people yeah um yeah okay i think fair enough um i think i think the clara works for me because i mean you're right that there's kind of a flawed logic to it I think it works just because of how um, sort of desperate it makes her situation. Like, again, you know, this this possibility that she's really totally on her own, and then how impossibly long the breath holding goes on. You know that it keeps sure. going and going and then she goes around the corner and there's more and she goes around the corner right. and there's even more. And now her like vision is blurring. Like, I think you're right that there's, it's probably not the best writing ever, but it, I think it works. Um, for me at least. Um, so, I mean, the kiss, I want to kind of critfic it a bit because to me, and I'm sorry if this is critfic, apologies to C.S. Lewis, but um, it's so obvious to me that the whole thing is contrived so that we can have them kissing, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to have that, you know, to read it any other way for me. Um, and it, what kind of cracks me up about it, it is that it had pretty much the exact desired effect because on the one hand the BBC had complaints about it, (laughs) which is sort of to be expected. On the other hand, it got the episode nominated for a GLAAD award. (laughs) So, so it, I just find the whole thing kind of funny. Um, but so there you are, um, make of that what you will. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time, taking it too seriously just because it's so contrived. Um, yeah. Well, and that's exactly it. Like, my my problem isn't with them kissing. No. It's, it's the situation of it. Yeah. And, I mean, and at least I'd rather have them actually kissing, you know, at least in terms of the narrative, it, it would make it's, way more It enough. would, honestly, like, it would have been much more better natural. and seemed much yeah. more natural if, like, when they were just kind of in that room together when, you know, Jenny was posing or whatever. Like if, if they had kissed then, like that would have felt way more natural to me than this like whole, like in the middle, in the middle of battle, I'm kissing you, but I'm really giving you air because 
for some reason, my lungs are so much greater. Like I have no other internal organs. And so I can hold that much more air than you. Um, I don't. Yeah. And also like you would see the movement still of the lungs and (laughs) it's not doing anything that you're trying to do. It's the opposite. I, I don't know. I just, whatever. Anyway. I thought and also, like, given how long that Clara holds her breath earlier, Jenny can't hold it for three seconds. Yeah, yeah. Before, like, before Vastra has to kiss her. Come on. Like, that, it just, th- th- that whole thing irritated me quite a bit. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um. But all that said, I like the episode overall. Sure. Um. And I don't, is there any other, any other pieces? We, we talked about the yeah. clockwork guys a bit. I guess we should talk about the We ending. did. Well, and, and just with the clockwork guys, I want to just mention this kind of, uh, that they are apparently related to the droids from Girl in the Fireplace. And mm-hmm. the doctor seems to have forgotten that particular episode. Again, yeah. you know, rule one, you know, um, I guess he could be lying. I don't see why he would Although, be in this situation. Um, and we also see, like, he's not, like, talking to people. He's kind of talking to, to himself. himself. Like, yeah, that he like, genuinely seems to have forgotten. Like, what's going on? Yeah, like, it, it, it seems genuine in this case. Right. So, you know, um, kind of an interesting idea that, like, you know, he has lived for a really long time. And mm. maybe he's forgotten a few things. Um, which is kind of a interesting idea i think um and and which is a bit of a a retcon because we've gotten before that he actually has quite a good memory mm. um i i can't think like uh oh what's the um or at least that that he's able to uh way back in the beginning is it the first time we see uh um uh, the Slovene, mm. when he's like at the table there and he's like, you know, give me data, give me data. Like, right, you know, right. and he's down, like sifting through yeah. all the different right. possibilities. And it's like, you have this idea that he has this like massive, right. you right. know, amount of memory that he can sort of sift through mm-hmm. almost instantaneously kind of thing. And, and maybe that, I mean, again, like in the doctor's subjective, you know, timeline, that was centuries ago. So maybe... That was when when he was a young pup, he could still do that. Right. But now that he's much older, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a lot harder to kind of keep that level of detail. And just in general, this episode, we see that his mental state, sure. there is a confusion sort of going on with regeneration. So maybe it's like a temporary amnesia kind right. of thing, you know, like right. late, later he'll have memories restored or it'll occur to him. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe this doctor... One of his things is that he forgets a lot. We'll find out more, I guess. A, have to keep our of, eye on it. A bunch of different possibilities. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the last minute or two, uh, I do want to mention Paradise. Um, yeah. You know, because there's this idea throughout of... Paradise they're, found. They're going to the promised land and the doctors, you know... Like the like the good agnostic he is uh, says, you know, there's, there, you know, there is no promised land, or if there is, I'm not getting there either. So you know, don't worry about it. So, you know, but then we have unexpectedly, the droid seems to wake up in a kind of 
beautiful garden um, with a lady named Missy who says that this is heaven. So, yeah, I don't know if you had any things that you that interested it, interested you about it or that you noticed. Um, I know you said you were a little confused. I think that seems reasonable enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I was a little bit confused about that. I mean, there's a couple thoughts. I mean, one is that, like, what does heaven mean to a robot? Mm. Um, so... Is this like a River Song thing? Is he in a computer mm. somewhere? Is it that he was rebuilt and physically transported to a different place? Um, yes, it. I suppose could it be an actual like consciousness kind of thing where mm. he is in a different plane? I suppose that's a possibility. I would put that on the low end of the possibilities, but I mean, it it could be. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think I saw, I, I snuck a peek at your notes and you had noted that this, um, garden was one that we had seen before Mm -hmm. from, uh, the girl who waited. Mm -hmm. I, I actually did think that it looked familiar. I did not peg it though. I did. I couldn't, I didn't peg it as that particular garden. Um, having that fact in mind brings up interesting questions of, okay, so does that mean that's where they are? Like in this, mm. uh, what was it? The two streams facility, right, right. you know, uh, I forget the name of it. There you go. <laughs> um, not Appalachia. No. Uh, the, you know, so the, that's an interesting possibility. So if that's the case, I mean, he's kind of, He's kind of in heaven, I guess, but also kind of trapped. Mm. Um, but then also, of course, who the heck is this woman? Yeah. Right. Uh, who seems to know who the doctor is. Mm. Uh, refers to him as her boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's I, I, good like, question. Like, these are just observations. I don't have... Yes sort of a convalescing no and and obviously this is coalescing i mean theory not convalescing yeah i mean obviously this is the the setup for a a, an ongoing um little mystery here of like you said what does heaven what does what does yes (laughs) what does heaven mean you know if if this is heaven or what do we mean by that and um and who is Missy? Yes, and um, and and it's hard to tell because the clockwork guy doesn't really change his expression at all throughout the episode, right? But I would say that his expression, uh-huh. which again hasn't actually changed, <laughs> is a bit quizzical. Yes, well, uh, his, and I like and, his, and skeptical. Uh, I like his like, delivery of boyfriend. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, a little bit of he's not it, quite sure. Skeptical. What's skepticism there it seems um yeah and and yeah i'll let kind of missy uh make her own impressions upon you i won't you know obviously say anything um i mean i think it's worth mo- <laughs> noticing mi- mi- missy is my ben is what you're saying yes like <laughs> it, you have no idea who or what ben is yeah. and what his purpose is and yeah she is, may or may not be important but she's there and i think she's worth noticing um and I think, and we'll see her again. And we'll yeah. see her again. And I mean, a, a few things I think I do want to point out is, um, you know, again, like 
her, not just that she knows the doctor, but, you know, says he's my boyfriend and, oh, he loves me so much. Um, and, uh, you know, her noticing that she likes his accent because she also yeah. has a Scottish accent. So there's, you know, a similarity there. Um, so, you know, um, sure. we'll uh, have to keep our eye out for her, I think. Fair enough. So, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, I think we'll leave and we'll be back next week with some more Doctor Who and another episode of Angel. Okay. See you then. Mm -hmm.